Thank you all for being here. We have a, a good group here this morning. We thank you for coming our way and visiting with us this morning. We seek to serve God as, as he has instructed us to do in the pages of the New Testament. That is our, our goal, our aim, and our charge. Thank you all for being here with us this morning. This morning I want to talk about this subject, from seed to fruit. God brings about his will in amazing ways. I, uh, I'm always looking for patterns and uh, analogies, illustrations, ways to uh, bring, a, bring across God's message. And I, I struggle with doing that and, and, and just getting out of the way of God's message. Because no matter what I say, uh, the word of God will, will, will speak for itself. But as we know, my job is one ordained of God, to preach the word, to teach the word, and not uh, belittling myself or the, or the role of preachers. We have an important thing to, to, to do, an important job to do. But the word of God is, is, is just so amazing. And so, as a preacher, that, that, that is part of my job, to, to point you to it, and to show you things, and to show you patterns, and to show you ideas and illustrations that are right there for us to see and to bring those together. And, and so in my, st my own studies, I, I, I've kind of noticed some things, and I wanted to bring this to you and, and show you this, how God, uh, from, from humble beginnings, from a, from a seed, how many times he will, he will nurture that seed, however you might want to say that, water it, prune the vine, and then eventually there's a maturing of the fruit that comes from that seed. And it's uh, an analogy that we know well, and, and we're going to look at a couple of examples of that in just a moment. But just the idea of, of how God carries out his will and how he explains his will through his word, I'm always in amazement of it and always looking for those, those patterns and those threads that connect. So let's talk about uh, this idea of from from seed to fruit. Um, and I'm, I'm going to ask you to turn to a lot of passages this morning, so if you have your Bible or you have your, your uh, app on your phone or device, please follow along. Um, we read this this morning from Matthew 13, the parable of the mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in the field, and this is smaller than all the other seeds. But when it is full grown, it is larger than, the garden, than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. And this is really the, the crux of, of what we're talking about here. From a very small seed, and Jesus tells us here the mustard seed is the smallest of all, but what it grows into is the, the largest of the garden plants. And so much so that the birds come and nest in its branches. It, it serves a purpose as it goes through. A couple of other analogies I want to look at. Look over in 1 Corinthians. This is not just reserved for Jesus and his teachings and his parables. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 9. Paul here is speaking of, of, of the work in Corinth and, and how that work has, has come about. And he says, I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not able yet to receive it. And he He's talking here about the idea that here's that, uh, 
the, the milk of the word is another way of expressing what we're talking about here. The beginnings, the, the, the simple uh, word of God. And, and he's saying that by now you should, be, you should be eating meat. You should be, have grown, but you're not. And there's the chastisement in that. But he comes down here, and this is, this is where we, we see our analogy. Verse 6, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. Here's the, our analogy again. Planting, watering, and growth. We understand it, right? One other one. Hebrews 12. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there uh, whom his father does not discipline? This, in this passage here, this particular place, he's talking about the chastisement, disciplining. We know that with our children, right? We discipline our children. And do they like to be disciplined at the moment? Not very many, <laughs> They don't like to be disciplined at the moment, but the point that the Hebrew writer here is making is that eventually it will, it will pay off. So here again is the idea. If you come down to verse uh, 10, for they are disciplined for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems uh, not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness. So there's our, our key word there, fruit. We don't, like, we don't like discipline. We certainly don't like discipline as we get older, right? We don't like to be told what to do. The Hebrew writer here is making the point is that God disciplines us. And in so doing, there's, there's a product at the end, and he, he says that it is the peaceable fruit of righteousness. There's that that fruit that comes from the nurturing and the watering, the pruning. We can think about the fruit, um, Matthew 3, uh, as John the Baptist here speaking to the Pharisees about they were coming out here out to the wilderness to see what he was doing as he was baptizing. And he tells the Pharisees to bring fruits worthy of repentance. You know, he was telling them they need to bring something here that shows that, that they are indeed repenting. He expresses that as fruits of repentance. Another way is that fruit is expressed in Galatians 5. Galatians 5, Paul refers to the fruit of the Spirit. You know, those things that, that mature in us as we become more and more uh, studied and, and learned and our faith deepens in God's Word, the fruit of the Spirit comes forth. And another thing we can think about with fruit, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about how Jesus is raised from the dead as the first fruits of those who are dead. So this idea is pretty well established, and I think pretty well established in our minds what we're talking about here. Seed, planting, watering, tending, and bringing that fruit to maturity. So with that in mind, I want to talk about a, a few things where we can make an application. And I, there's others that we can point to, but, but these uh, I wanted to share with you as a way of, of understanding them a little bit more fully. And let's begin with talking about deacons. Turn with me to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. So again, remember what we're talking about. We're talking about from a seed 
to, to culturing, to watering, to, to pruning, to taking care of the, the plant that comes forth, and then bringing forth the fruit. And, and, and having that fruit mean something. And, and benefiting from the fruit. Here in Acts chapter 6, the disciples of, 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 of Jesus are still here in Jerusalem, and there's lots going on. Um, they've been baptized, many of them. The, the church has been established, and they're figuring some things out here uh, to kind of get the church going, we might say. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose among the part of the Hellenistic Jews about the native Hebrews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. We find out earlier, and we'll look at in just a moment, Acts chapter 2, that as they were gathered there the day of Pentecost, they were, they were selling their possessions, they were buying food, no one had any need, they were sharing amongst themselves, and that's, that's continuing on. And so this is what's happening. But there's a, there's a complaint here uh, that the, the native Hebrews were being overlooked, the widows were being overlooked, and so something needed to be done. Verse 2, And the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. But select from among you, brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we might put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the twelve here, referring to the apostles, called the congregation and said, We need to appoint some men that will take care of this so that we can devote ourselves to the teachings of the gospel. And so in this, we have the seed for what would later become the the office, the role of the deacon in the Lord's church. If you look there in in the end of verse 2, he says, in order uh, not neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. And the the word there, serve, is is the Greek word, or the Greek word, root word is diakonos. And that simply means to serve, or diakonos is actually the noun form, which is often translated as deacon. And so here we see the verb form, but we'll see later that the same word is used to, as translated as deacon. So the idea here is to serve. And the one doing the serving is sometimes referred to as deacon, or a servant, or attendant, or a minister. So here in this passage here, we have, we have the seed of those who would help to serve others. So go over with me now to 1 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> so there's the seed. So how is that seed then nurtured as, and, and towards bringing forth fruit? Here in 1 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 8, Paul outlines in detail the qualifications for a deacon. He says, Deacons must likewise be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine, or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let these also be tested. Let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be husbands of only one wife, and good managers of their children, Uh, and their own household. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith of Christ Jesus. So here Paul is is nurturing, tending to what has been set forth, that there needed to be those in the the congregation to serve. 
There, was, there were needs within the congregation. The widows there were being overlooked. They needed to be served. Now Paul is further refining that to the idea here that there's an office of deacon amongst the Lord's church. And the deacon here is to serve. And we know that uh, putting all things together, that the deacons serve the elders and helping in their work. And we could, we could take this process through with the elders as well, but for the sake of time, we won't. But that's what the deacons were to do then. And then go with me over to uh, Philippians 1. <clears throat> in Philippians 1, just in this simple little, little verse here, we, we, we see the fruit that is produced. As Paul is addressing the Philippians here in, in his, in his uh, opening to the, this letter to them, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. So here we have the, the fruit. It, it begun as a need for those to be served. Paul lays out the, the, the qualifications for deacons and and we can see how that fruit then uh, comes forth as Paul addresses these here at Philippi, overseers and deacons, those deacons in place, serving God, serving God through serving this church here at Philippi. So we see that coming through. Another example with the contribution. Go with me back to Acts chapter 2. I mentioned that the day of Pentecost um, is, is here in Acts chapter 2, and there's, there's many gathered there in Jerusalem, and, and we see the, the apostles being baptized with the Holy Spirit, and, and Peter stands up and gives that first sermon and convicts those around him of putting to death the Son of God. And verse 36, he says, Therefore let us, that all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And so they ask, what shall we do? And he tells them that they need to repent and be baptized. And, and this is the beginning of the church. We come down here, and we made mention this a minute ago, come down to verse 44. It says, And all those who believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as many as had need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So here they are. They're, the church has begun and, and, and they're selling their possessions and they're distributing among themselves as any have need. So here we see the beginnings of of taking care of one another within the church. Here, here's that seed that has been planted. We come over to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Again, Paul refining this, giving instructions to these early churches and how it is that they are to, uh, to manage uh, these funds that are being collected. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I direct, directed the churches of Galatia, so you do also. On the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper, that no collections be made when I come. You know, this is what we use, and we, we mentioned it here 
as we're taking up the collection. This is what we, one of the things that we do on the first day of the week is we take up the collection. As each of us has prospered, we give back. We follow this example that Paul has, has given the church in, in Corinth and the, and the other churches of Galatia. So we understand that, that the giving, uh, selling our possessions, taking from our, from our own um, treasury, and giving to our brothers and sisters in Christ is a, is a good work, is a good thing. And we saw the early disciples doing that back there in Acts chapter 2. Paul helps us to understand that there's, there's a way in which we can do that. And that is that we do it on the first day of the week. We collect the monies, we hold them in a common treasury, and then we distribute those monies as needy saints have need, as to edify one another, the things that we do here on the first day of the week, those administrative kind of things, uh, having a building, keeping the lights on, uh, Bible class material, all the things that, that help us to fulfill the things that we are to do in serving the Lord. And we are to, to, to pay those who labor for the gospel. Part of the monies that, that are collected here go to me so that I can preach and teach. And so Paul helps us to, to, to take that seed and to, and, to, and to water it, to nurture it. And then what is the fruit that comes from that? Again, let's go back to Philippians, this time chapter 4. Philippians 4. Beginning in verse 15. It says, And you yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first uh, preaching of the gospel, after I departed Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift uh, more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full. And I have abundance, and I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus which you, that which you have sent. Now listen to this. A fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So there's the fruit. Paul is saying that I, I am well supplied. Thank you. Thank you for your gift. But more importantly, I am so grateful of the attitude behind it. Verse 19, it says, And my God shall supply all your needs according to the riches in, in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, there's the fruit. There's the fruit in, in this church providing for, the, for Paul in, in, the, in the purveyance of the gospel. So from that beginnings of, of wanting to take care of one another, and, 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 and pruning that and watering it to understand that we, we come together on the first day of the week and we, and we lay by in store and we put that money in the treasury. So now we have the opportunity to help support men who labor for the gospel, to help needy saints, to edify one another. So there's the fruit. And that, Paul says it, that it, it goes to your account. The blessings come to you for helping him. One last thing, one last example, and that is of baptism. Go with me to John chapter 1. Baptism is such an important concept to understand as, as children of God, and for the world to understand that 
Baptism is necessary for our salvation. And I hope that we can, in, in one little way here, demonstrate that. In John chapter 1, the Apostle John is speaking of John the Baptist. He says here in verse 19, And this is the witness of John, that's John the Baptist, when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? Uh, he conf- and he confessed and did not deny. And he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you a prophet? And he answered, No. Now they're trying to figure out what John is doing and who John is and, and what is his mission. Now, John readily admits, I am not the Christ. He's going to go on to say that there's one coming after me. That's the Christ. He says, and they ask him, are you Elijah? Now, why would they ask him if he was Elijah? Well, in Malachi 4, the the close of the the Old Testament, in verse 5, God says, I'm going to send you Elijah. And so they kind of have an inkling of of Elijah. Now, maybe there's some confusion about, is this Elijah going to be reincarnated? No, that's not it. Um, in Luke chapter 1 and verse 17, uh, as the angel is telling John's father, Zacharias, uh, about John's mission, John the Baptist's mission, um, he says that he will go as a forerunner in the spirit of Elijah. So that helps us to understand about this idea of Elijah being a prophet and telling of things to come. This is John. He's coming in the spirit of Elijah. And he's coming to tell of the one that's coming after him, and that is Jesus the Christ. So there's some confusion there about what John is, is, is doing, what his mission is. But he says, I'm not the Christ, uh, I'm not the prophet, I'm not Elijah. Verse 22, back in John 1, he says, Then they said to him, Who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, verse 23, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent to him by the Pharisees. And they asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? So why are you doing this, John? If you're not, these, if you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet, if you're not Jesus, why are you doing this? Well, he just told him what he, what he was doing. I'm, coming to, to, I'm the voice crying in the wilderness. I'm the one paving the way. But he says there, verse 26, John answers and says, I baptize in water, but among you stands the one uh, whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. So even though John had a mission and he was baptizing, and he was baptizing for uh, remission of sins, for repentance. But there was one coming after him. It was John's mission to begin to understand the idea of baptism for the remission of sins. But there's one coming after him that's going to develop this further. I'm going to tell you more about baptism. Go over a couple of pages to John chapter 3. And John, and Jesus' interaction here with Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to him by night and, and asked him, Rabbi, who, verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God and a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. 
And Jesus says something very curious to him. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is an interesting thing. And it kind of takes Nicodemus back because he, look what he says in verse 4. How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? So here, Jesus is going to, to further expand upon what baptism means. Jesus first says that baptism means that you were born again. How do I know that? Because look what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So that's exactly what he said a minute ago, but he said, unless one is born again. So now he defines what born again means. It says, born of water and of the Spirit. So in his teaching here, Jesus is laying the, the foundation of what it means to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which he will command his disciples to do as he sends them out into the world in the Great Commission. Go into all nations, making disciples of them, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have taught you. So that's the charge. So here, Jesus is helping to further uh, Develop what it means to be baptized. Now go over to Acts chapter 2 again. We touched on this a moment ago. As Peter gives that, uh, that sermon there on the day of Pentecost, and um, verse 37, those listening, uh, it says they were, when they heard this, they were pierced to their heart. What is it they heard? They heard that they had put to death the Son of God. And they asked, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What have we done? We have put to death the Son of God. Now, Peter, tell us what it is that we are to do. What does Peter tell them? Repent. Let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there's the fruit. From John coming and, and that voice crying in the wilderness and he's out there and he's baptizing and he's baptizing people for the remission of their sins, a water baptism for repentance. And Jesus tells Nicodemus that you must be born again, you must be born of water and the Spirit in order to enter into the kingdom of God. And so when, when these here on the day of Pentecost realize that they've put to death the Son of God and, and they are looking for some way to be uh, remitted of that sin... They ask Peter what they should do, and Peter says, Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's the fruit. Further evidence in 1 Peter 3 and verse 21, Peter says, he's talking about the eight souls there that were saved in the, in the ark of Noah. And he says, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the, from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Baptism now saves you. I've mentioned before, and we'll continue, there's a lot in the, in the, in the religious world who, who play down baptism, who try to explain it away, who try to, to say that it's... it's some manner of ritualistic but really signifying nothing it's just a, something that we do because there's mention of it in the New Testament 
we see from, from study like this that it's integral to the life of a Christian. We see that there's no other way to come to the Lord except through baptism. Because when I read passages like 1 Peter 3 and verse 21 where it says, Baptism now saves you, I have a hard time explaining that away. And saying, well, it's, a, it's an outward display of, a, of an inward work, inward faith, or confession. I don't read that in Scripture. I read, Baptism now saves you. I read, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of your sins. I read Mark 16, 16, he who is baptized shall be saved. It's very hard for me to explain that away. And so using our analogy and seeing what we have here, we see John in the wilderness. What's he doing? He's, uh, pave, he's, he's, he's paving the way for the coming Christ. Get ready for the Christ that is to come. And he's baptizing for repentance. And then Jesus, with his interaction with Nicodemus, uh, equating baptism to being born again. And then Peter telling those on the day of Pentecost that in order to be saved from their sins, they have to be baptized. And Paul talking in Romans 6 about the, being buried with Jesus in baptism. How is it that we come in contact with, with the death and the, and the blood of our Lord? It's through baptism. And then Peter speaking in 1 Peter 3, 21, baptism now saves you, not the washing away of, the, of dirty skin, but an appeal to God to a good conscience. That's how we see how God has developed this idea of how necessary baptism is. God brings about his will in amazing ways. There's other examples we can look at in, in this line of thinking. But I hope these have, have piqued your interest and helped you to understand at least these three things. But he brings about his will in amazing ways, and if you think about what it took for him to, to bring about the Christ, to bring about his son being put to death on a cross, from the book of Genesis all the way through, God's plan is unfolded various ways, in amazing ways, sometimes very simple ways. But from those simple beginnings, that seed, comes some very extraordinary fruit. From very humble beginnings comes forth extraordinary fruit. And we think about gathering that fruit, what we, how we benefit from that fruit. Uh, it, it's amazing. He demonstrates how carefully planned his will is. It's not a matter of circumstance. We talked about it in our Bible class this morning. Why was it that, that they didn't lay hands on Jesus till the end of that week? Well, it was because it was God's plan for him to be put to death on, uh, on a Friday and to be raised from the dead on a, on a Sunday as we count the days. That was God's plan. How carefully planned out and executed his plan is. And it should mean all the more to us because of how God plants and carefully nurtures and waters and takes care and, and brings that fruit to, to maturity. It should mean all the more to us to be able to, to partake of that fruit. We benefit from it. We benefit from what our Lord has done. 
We benefit from uh, him being put to death on a cross. Terrible, terrible death. But we benefit because we have a, a hope of salvation. We can be uh, washed of our sins and walk in newness of life. What a blessing that is. What a blessing that we can partake of that fruit. I hope this has been encouraging to you. We offer an invitation, as we always do at the end of our time. If you're not a child of God, if you have not put on Christ, I would encourage you to, to, to think about what that means. It means that you're lost in the world. Those who come to Christ must come to him in the manner in which he is prescribed. They must hear the words about him, hear the gospel, and, and believe in that, that that they've heard. And recognizing what that means, they have to be like those that are gathered there on the day of Pentecost. They have to realize that they have done something wrong. And they need to repent. And they need to be baptized. And you go down and as you repent and you realize that there's that change that you need to make in your life, you need to recognize what it is that you're doing. And recognize that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And make that good confession. Upon doing that, you are a candidate for baptism. You have, you have come to realize that there is no other way to come to God except through Jesus Christ and the way that he has prescribed. We come up out of those waters, we're a new creature. We walk in newness of life. And then it is our job, our, our duty, our charge to continue to walk faithfully, keep his commandments, and to keep gathering that fruit and benefiting so much from it. If as a child of God you've stumbled and you need the prayers of the congregation, we can help you with that as well. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.